You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. So, yeah, I'm Rebecca. I'm volunteering for Sunday at 6, and I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31a on page 931. Um, you can get this reading from the Bible app on your phone. So, yeah. <laughs> Unity and diversity in the body. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatments. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part... um, if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with us. Now if now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second of all prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We're continuing this little series that we're doing at the moment where we're looking through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which particularly talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Julie kicked us off with the start of chapter 12 last week, and uh, I'm going to continue where we left off. So I would encourage you to have your Bibles open, page 931, if you want to use the blue Bibles that are in the church seats, uh, because I'm sort of going to go through the passage, uh, and it's a good idea to sort of refer to it and see uh, what's happening there. Uh, 65 years ago, which is a long time, uh, this uh, book was published, picture of it on the screen, uh, called Your God is Too Small became a bit of a a classic book that lots of Christians uh, have read 
And uh, I've got a show of hands this morning just to see who read this book. I won't try it uh, tonight because it's sort of, it was written in 1954, so it's a bit of an, an oldie but a goodie. Um, but the idea of the book was that often we think that God just can't handle the sorts of complex issues that are going on in our lives or the sorts of complex issues that we see going on in the world. Uh, but the reason is that we have a, often have a very limited view of who God is. So we have ideas of God, that God's sort of this policeman, moral policeman, who's just about keeping rules, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. And that's our image of God, which is not actually aligned with who God actually is, as revealed in the Bible. Or we have a view of God as this sort of old, sentimental old man with a beard uh, who's disconnected and disinterested from what's going on in the world. So the problem is actually that our view of God doesn't match up with who God actually is. It's too limited, not biblical. Your God is too small. The picture you have of God is too small. Well, I'm thinking of pinching this idea and writing my own book, uh, and my book's going to be called Your Church is Too Small. Um, now, you know, this is not really about the numbers of people in church. This is not about church growth. It's good to be part of a, a growing church. It's exciting when you baptise four people in a service who are committing themselves to follow Jesus. But I don't mean about sort of growing the numbers in the church. I mean that often we can have a view of the church which is too limited and it doesn't match up with how amazing the church actually is when we see it described in the Bible. So we can have a small view of church in a number of ways. We sometimes can talk about church as the building, so we're, we're inside this building and that's what the church is. Or we can think of the church as like this institution, you know, there's like an archbishop in a head office somewhere and maybe some bishops and there's rules and regulations that you've got to follow and that's the church. Or we can even sort of talk about the church as if it's like what we're doing now, the church service, that all the church is is sort of when we come together to sing some songs and to pray, to hear the Bible. Um, now, all of these things that I've described there are parts of what church is about, but they're not actually big enough for what the church is in its entirety. Uh, the church is far more beautiful, far more profound and far more dynamic than any of those things can capture. Uh, and this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 gives us an amazing picture of what the church is. To sum it up, the church is this united body of people who are filled with God's Holy Spirit, given a variety of different gifts so that together we can work to do amazing things in the world. So grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to sort of unpack it a little bit together. Uh, verse 12 starts with a really quite surprising statement. Here's how it goes. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with... Now, how do you think that sentence is supposed to end, right? If I was writing this, if I was writing the Bible... I would finish that sentence by saying, so it is with the church. Okay, Paul's talking about the church. In fact, he's talking about a local church, the church in the city of Corinth. 
But he doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. Because he's got this view of the church, that the, the church is actually the body of Christ. One of Paul's favourite ways for describing Christians, people who follow Jesus, is describing us as being in Christ. That when we make a decision, like we saw tonight, to follow Jesus, we are united so strongly with Jesus that we're described as being in him. But here's the thing. If she is in Christ, and if you are in Christ, and if I'm in Christ, and if he is in Christ, then we're all in Christ together, and together we form the body of Christ. That's what Paul's doing here with this description, to say that we are the body of Christ together. You see it expressed quite powerfully down in verse 27. This says it really clearly. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Actually, it'll be clearer if I read it in my own Oka Aussie version. Now yous are the body of Christ, and each one of yous is a part of it. Right? He's talking about the whole. Yous. You lot. You're all part of the body of Christ. So the church is not primarily the building or some sort of institution or even what we're doing now, sort of a service that we undertake together, where we worship together. The church is a body of people, the body of Christ. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of it. What's more, as part of this body, you have the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, living within you. Uh, Julie was talking about this last week, uh, in the passage we talked about last week, that said, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For a person to genuinely declare that Jesus is the Lord, the boss of the entire universe, and to say, and I want to come under his lordship, I want to be under the authority of Jesus, give him first place in my life, that only happens when the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. And when we do that, we receive God's spirit who comes to live within us. It's emphasised in our passage in verse 13 when it says this, For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So when we start following Jesus, uh, here described, uh, spoken of as baptism, which is when you commence the journey with Jesus. So what we've done tonight... Uh, in the baptism of Sanjay, Ritika, Himanshu and Tushar, as they've been baptised, they've said, we want Jesus to be the boss and we want to follow him. We're making a decision to follow Jesus. This is the start of our Christian journey. We're told here that when that happens, you're baptised by the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. Right? In the same way that the water washes over us, so God's Spirit covers us. It's not just an external thing, it's internal. He comes to live within us, which is why you have that powerful language there, we're all given the one spirit to drink. When you drink water, it goes inside of you. God's spirit comes to live within us, to empower us and our lives so that we can live for him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, 
You are part of the body of Christ and you have God's spirit living in you. Now, pause for a minute and just have a look at your own body. It won't be weird if we all do it, okay? Um, I have one body. This is all my body, but there's different bits to it, right? I've got, a, I've got a hand. Whoa, look at those fingers and a leg and feet. There are lots of different bits which form part of the body. It's one body, but different parts. And Paul uses that image in this passage uh, to emphasise that that's the reality too for the church, the body of Christ. It's a single body, but it's made up of many parts. Verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The strength and the beauty of the church is that there's variety within it. It's diverse, even though it's a unified body. None of us are the same as other people. We're all different, which is great. God doesn't get some sort of you know, divine cookie cutter and cut out a lot of Christians who are all identical to each other. He creates people with their unique differences and puts us together to form his body. So in our church, we've got a variety of ages. We've got from age zero down the back there. We've had a few, uh, we've got lots of babies in our church at the moment, all the way through to 95-year-olds. In fact, someone's turning 96 next week in our church. So there's a variety of ages uh, in our church. There's a variety of different experiences, backgrounds, people who are studying, people are working, and a whole lot of different professions that people work in. Uh, people have different personalities, and God gives us different gifts and abilities to use in the church. That's, uh, by the way, the point of all of those sort of rhetorical questions down in verses 29 and 30, where it says, are all apostles, you're supposed to say, no, are all prophets, no, are all teachers, no, do all work miracles, no, etc., etc. Not everyone has the same gifts, not everyone has the same roles, we're all different, we're not all alike, but God puts us together in one body so that we can play our part in the whole. So here's the first take-home for tonight. Right? If you are someone who follows Jesus, if you are someone who you say, yep, Jesus is in charge of my life and I'm following him, then you are part of the body of Christ. You belong. And you have God's Holy Spirit living in you. You are filled and empowered by his spirit. And you have unique gifts and talents and experiences and a contribution to make that is needed within the church. You are essential. So I want you to know that you belong, that you are filled, and that you are needed in the church. That's the reality of your identity. If you are someone who follows Jesus, that is an essential part of who each of us are within the church, within the body of Christ. So what has happened in this passage is he's given us that sort of summary that there is one body with one spirit, many parts and all different. And he describes that at the start of the passage and he sort of says the same thing at the end. But in the middle, there's a couple of objections that people might raise to sort of go against this beautiful reality that's just been described. The first objection 
uh, is in verses 15 to 20, and it's the objection, I don't belong. I don't belong. See what it says there. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Uh, Sometimes you come across people in church, and maybe you're one of them, who feels like, I don't have anything worthy of contributing to other people in the church. Uh, I remember uh, preaching probably 15 years ago now on this passage or another one about the body of Christ, and I was talking about that when God's Spirit comes to live within us, he gives us gifts, he gives us abilities, and that is needed by everyone else. And I remember at the end of the church service, a lady in in about her 50s, I think, She'd been a Christian for a long time. She said, look, Tim, I know you said that everyone has gifts, but I I don't. I've got nothing which is worth contributing. It was really sad that she felt that there was nothing worthy of contributing to the whole. Now, sometimes we're not as blunt as that. We wouldn't say it quite like that. Uh, And in these verses, it's not like the people who are saying these things think they haven't got anything to contribute, right? The foot knows that it's a foot, it's just that it would rather be a hand. You know, hands are really cool. God's made me a foot, but I'd really rather be a hand. You know, hands have opposable thumbs and all that cool stuff. Hands are where the action is, um, but I'm just a foot. So I don't really belong because I don't have the gifts that other people have. Uh, Maybe this is more where you personally feel this objection, right? Maybe... You feel like, well, I I don't belong because I can't play the guitar like he can. Or I can't pray the same way that when she gets up to lead the prayers, that's, that's amazing. I wish I could do that, but I can't. Or, you know, when I talk to my friends about Jesus, they kind of laugh and walk away. Whereas when this other person does it, like they actually believe what they're saying and they become Christians. I wish I was like them. All I've got is sort of some measly, boring gifts that are really naff. Um, And so I don't really feel like I belong or I've got anything much to contribute to everyone else. Do you feel like that? Um, I don't want to sort of belittle it or downplay it because I think these are genuine things that we often feel like that we might not feel like we've got to contribute to other people. Maybe because we're sort of, we're young or we're fairly new in our faith, we might feel like, well, you know, I haven't really got much that would be useful to other people. Uh, And sometimes it's because other people make us feel that way. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Sometimes we can give that impression that people don't belong. Uh, So I don't want to downplay or belittle the feelings that you might have where you feel like you don't belong. But I also need to say that it is just not true. When the voice in your head tells you, I don't belong here, don't listen to that voice. It is lying to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you belong. Paul points out that this this feeling that we don't belong is illogical in verse 17. He says, if the whole body was an eye, it would look really weird. He doesn't say that bit, but it would look really weird. If the whole body was an eye... 
then where would the sense of hearing be? You wouldn't be able to hear. And if the whole body was an ear, again, super weird, you've all got an image of a giant ear now, then you wouldn't be able to smell. Right? We don't actually need 80 guitarists at Sunday at 6, because then who would join in to sing along? Or who would operate the sound desk? Uh, we don't need 200 people in our church to lead prayers every week, because then who would join in with the prayers and do other things? Uh, we don't even need everybody to be a gifted evangelist, because then who would play the role of nurturing and growing new Christians, who would welcome people, who would make supper so that we can all get together after the service. See, it doesn't make sense to say that you don't belong just because you're different. And the truth is that God has given you particular gifts and talents deliberately and purposefully. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, every one of them, so that includes you, just as he wanted them to be. God doesn't make mistakes. God hasn't made a mistake with you. He may have made you a bit different. That's his choice. But you are a necessary part of Christ's body. So you belong. The question is, how can you use your gifts in order to serve other people and work for Jesus? Um, this is a great discussion to have, maybe in your life groups. Um, it's a good discussion to have uh, after the service over supper to get serious and ask the question, well, what are the gifts that God has given me? Ask the people who know you. Ask the people in your life group. What do you think the gifts are that God has given me? And how might I really use those to serve Jesus? Is there a place where you can use your gifts? You might think, oh, yeah, well, there's an obvious way that I can do that. For others, it might be harder and might need a little bit more work as to how you might use the gifts that God's given you. Maybe you're not sure. Um, why don't you use the Connect cards? Jump online, stjohnsdc.info, fill out a Connect card, say, I want to talk to someone about the gifts that God's given me and how I can use them. Or, these are what I think my gifts are. Is there a chance that I can use those somewhere? We love getting that sort of stuff and would love to find a way of helping you to find where can you best serve. As a, as a church, we've got this massive vision of what we want to do, to be an intergenerational community that is loving like Jesus, growing in Jesus and sharing Jesus. It's huge to be able to do that. And it's going to need a whole range of different gifts and abilities, unique personalities in order to make that happen. We need you and your particular gifts that God has given you. You belong, so how can we train you, equip you, empower you, and release you in order to use the gifts that God has given you? So that's the first objection. People might be saying, I don't belong because we feel inadequate or we're not sure how we can actually use the gifts that God's given us. But there's a second objection, and that's in verse 21, and uh, 21 to 26, really. And it's the objection, I don't need you. If the first objection is sort of feelings of inadequacy, I don't belong, then 
the I don't need you is, is feeling self-sufficient, like we can do it on our own, and, and maybe it's even pride that we don't need other people. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, I doubt we'd be so blunt as to say to someone else at church, I really don't need you or we don't need you. I doubt we'd put it quite as bluntly as that. But I reckon we can express an attitude which says this by the way that we speak and behave and that the effect on people is exactly the same. So here's some ways that we can do it. We can do it by having this attitude of perfectionism that everything in our church must be done at this standard and unless you can do it this well, then we're not even going to give you a go. Um, We have certain ways that things have to be done. It can only be done this way and it's been done this way for 50 years and you're not going to change it. We can sort of have this approach that there's only one way to do it and that it has to be really good or we're not going to do it. And you see, we then treat other people as if, well, they're not really going to do it properly. So we effectively say, I don't need you because I can do it better myself. Or I don't need you because it'll be quicker if I just do it. Or I don't need you because you might stuff it up if I give you a go. So we can effectively say this to other people and people can feel like, well, I better not step in there. They don't really need me. Uh, I've been reflecting this week on the fact that the first time that I ever preached a sermon in church, I was 19 years old. Pity the poor people who had to sit through that sermon. I mean, at least now I've had 24 years of practice, so, you know, I'm slightly better at it. But instead of inviting 19-year-old Tim to get up and preach a sermon in church, the leaders of that church at the time could have said, we don't need you because we've got more experienced preachers. We don't need you because, frankly, we can do it a lot better than you can. We don't need you because you might muck it up. You might say something really stupid if we let you get up. But they didn't do that. They recognised something in me at that time, at 19-year-old, and they nurtured it and they encouraged it and they developed it. One insight that has really uh, stuck with me recently in leadership is the idea that if there is someone else who can do the job that you're doing 80% as well as you can do it, then you should give it to them to do. The reality is that people will never do things as they start doing it as well as you might be doing it now if you've been doing it for a long time. And people don't need to do things exactly the same way that you do it. And people might have completely new ideas, new sets of gifts, and they need to be released in order to grow and to do it. So rather than having an attitude of, I don't need you, we need to say, we believe in you, have a go. And we'll support and encourage you in it. In fact, in our Bible passage, it goes even further than that. In verse 22 and what follows, it says that just as our physical bodies have parts that seem weaker or less useful or 
private that we cover up, um, those parts are actually essential to the good functioning of the body. You know, so much of what goes on in the life of our church goes on out of sight, and yet our church would collapse if these things weren't done. So let me tell you, each and every week, someone puts the bins out. Someone comes in through the week, checks that there's enough toilet paper, changes the toilet paper rolls and the paper towel in the bathroom. People in this church get up early in the morning in order to pray for what is happening in the church. People cook meals for people who are sick and they drive people to doctor's appointments who need to get there. People sit at their kitchen tables and they prepare life group studies for their groups or they, they cut out craft materials for mainly music. You know, I could keep going. But these are things that are done each and every week by volunteers. Now, volunteers is too weak a word. These are things that are done each and every week by members of the body of Christ. And we might not see that it happens. You might not know who these people are, and they'd be embarrassed if I said their names. But just because it's not upfront and not seen doesn't mean that it's not essential to the life of the church. And in fact, we're told here in this passage that God gives greater honour to parts that lack it. In some weird way, in the economy of God, the things that seem less important, God says, these are the things that I particularly want to honour and bless. The stuff that is behind the scenes, that seems like it's not the big show, or the most important gifts, God says those are the things that are worthy of honour. God sees it, God knows it, and he'll honour these faithful acts of service, these expressions of love for the rest of the body and love for God and wanting to serve him. So here's the final challenge for tonight, for us as the body of Christ. Are you in any way saying to other members of the body... I don't need you. Uh, as well as serving other people and ministering to other people, do you let them serve you and minister to you? Right? If we only serve other people and minister to other people, we don't receive it. It's like saying, well, you need me, but I don't need you. Are we apprenticing people in leadership? Are we taking seriously this idea of raising people up who may not at the moment be able to do the job as well as we can, but one day they will and maybe better. Are we seeking out those members of the body who seem weaker and encouraging them to serve and to use the gifts that God's given them? Don't have a view of church that is too small. Don't downplay this miraculous, wonderful thing that God has created called the church, which is people. It's a body. It's everyone who follows Jesus and puts him in charge of their life. God's spirit lives in his body, lives in each one of us and empowers us so that we can serve him. We're not all the same. We're different to each other. But each one of us has a role to play, gifts that God has given us, unique gifts and personality, experiences and a contribution to make.
Let's be the body. Let's play our part and together we can do incredible things for God as we work for him. So let me pray. Jesus, thanks for the privilege that we have of being your body. God, thank you that you give your Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower and strengthen us to love and serve you. Please guard us from having an attitude that we don't belong. Please remind us that we do belong to you and we belong to each other. And please guard us from being proud and thinking that we don't need each other or shutting people out by the way that we behave. Please help us to include and empower each other. And we do pray that we would be able to do amazing things together as we trust and rely on you and as we work together empowered by your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. If you'd like to support the work of this podcast, you can head to stjohnsdc.info and click the Giving tab. You'll be supporting the work of this podcast as well as our church and the mission partners that we support. You can find out more about those partners at stjohnsdc.org.au slash mission. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.